Well, again, good morning, church. We're so glad you're here. And uh, I just love what God's been doing in the heart of the church. And uh, just so very, very excited to, to see what God's doing this year. Um, just this is impromptu. This is our 25th anniversary year in after Thanksgiving. And uh, we need some people who really have a gift and a passion of planning some exciting things. So just keep that in your head. If that's, that's it, maybe just shoot a note to info at summit.ca. And we got to think through about putting together a way to celebrate. So just, uh, just got to get going and just letting us know. There are countless decisions we make in life, numerous choices that present themselves every single day, and so many of them for which we need wisdom and discernment. Is that true? Yeah. And in fact, they have implications for so many things, especially with people. We're faced with ethical decisions, moral decisions, educational directions to take, vocational opportunities to consider, medical issues to face, church decisions, parenting decisions, uh, dealing with aging parents' decisions. I mean, it's all there. There's so many things. And central to many of these issues are relational decisions and questions. Questions and decisions and issues with family, friends, colleagues, classmates, uh, teammates, neighbors, sometimes strangers, church brothers and sisters, and most importantly, with God. So how do we know what to do? Are we just left to ourselves to Google it? What do we do? What direction do we take? How do we respond? What do we plan? Well, we trust that today's prayer that we're looking at will give us some clarity and help. In the fifth of our Amen 6, we're looking at Philippians 1, verses 6 to 9. Uh, I'm going to begin reading those at verse 3 to 4 to give you the entire context. And then, but we will only be looking at three quick verses, okay? Here's the passage. This is a book in the Newer Testament, a letter of Paul to the church in Philippi. And... Uh, perhaps the first uh, church he planted, and one that was so exciting to him. The relationship that Paul had with this church was a great source of joy to him. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. You know, it's prayer, I said it before, how many times, to open the prayer with thanksgiving, just to thank God. And he does this for the church, and he, encur he just encourages them by his gratitude. Um, he does this because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he, this church gets planted, and then Paul finds himself in jail, but he keeps, you know, because of the, not because he messed up, but because he was preaching the gospel. And in the Roman Empire, when you're teaching about a new king, a rival king, that doesn't go so well. And so he's in jail uh, for the sake of the gospel. And this church, miles and miles away, takes up an offering to meet his needs. 
And they have a special relationship with this church. So he talks about their partnership with him so that the gospel could continue to go forward from the very first day. And I'm sure of this, verse 6, he said, that he who began a good work in you will complete it and bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? It's true individually, but it's also true corporately or collectively because he's speaking to the church that what God began here at Summit, he is going to bring to completion. He's going to keep working, keep moving, so long as we're listening, and he's going to do so until the day he returns. And the same is true for you. The moment you trusted Christ and became his child and started to live for him and love him, he began to transform you and change you and make you into his image. And he says he's going to continue that until Jesus comes back. Aren't you glad? And so long as you're listening and cooperating with what he's doing inside of you, he will continue to grow you. At the scripture says, from one degree of glory to another, you will resemble more and more and more and more like, you, like Christ. I remember Martin Sanders, my, my uh, mentors who passed away recently. I'll be going to his big memorial service in New Jersey. And he said, he said one day we were with us, and this is years into our gig, and he's, he just stopped. He said, Jer, he goes, you resemble someone I know. And I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm seeing a resemblance form more than when I first met you. And I said, am I copying you too much? And he goes, no, it's the, it's the resemblance of Christ. And what that affirmation did in me uh, was amazing. Sometimes we overestimate how much we can grow and change in a short time, but we underestimate how much God can do in us over the long haul. And to hear that affirmation. So this is what he's talking about. He's saying, I am sure. He's convinced that he who began this work and he will complete it both individually and collectively. That's good news. Thanks for that one amen, Scott. It is right for me, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And now he comes and he says, here's, he gives the prayer. And it is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Here is the actual prayer. I put it out in a simple statement. He prays that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That your love, uses that God word, there's like four or five words for love uh, in the Greek language of that time. And this one is almost distinctly Christian. It is the love of God 
with which filled the heart of God and expressed it, which filled Christ and which, with which he served, and which the Holy Spirit pours into our heart and enables us to express. It is a very different kind of love. It's called in the Greek agape. It's a sourced in God, demonstrated in Christ, imparted by his spirit. It's love for God, love for one another, love for neighbors who are not yet in Christ. This love is a giving love. It's other-oriented. It's sacrificial. It expects nothing in return. It is almost one way. It's not given because people deserve it. It's frankly given because they don't. It's action-oriented. As described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you may have heard this at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is... It doesn't boast. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It believes, it hopes. You know, This is the type of love that's described there. The scripture is saying... And this is agape. Agape is all of these things. And while the actual immediate context where Paul wrote that, it was not at a marriage at all, although it's wonderfully applied there. It's written to the church in the right smack in the middle of the three chapters that are talking about serving together in the church. And it's meant to... uh, characterize the body, the church. And so he prays that this love would abound, not just exist. What does the word abound bring up in your mind? Scarce? No. It abounds. And if that's not enough, he says to abound more. And that's not enough, he has to use another one. More and more. Church, this kind of love is supposed to seep in, spring up, and just get expressed by the church to God, to one another, and to our world. And this is the love that he prays would abound, superabound, more and more, grow, grow deeper, grow more, grow abundant, not scarce, fuller, wider, deeper. The word has the sense of overflowing, of pouring out towards other people. And this love, however, like a river, a mighty river, needs banks. This love is to be supported, infused with, guided by two things. Knowledge, and he uses the word knowledge here that it means, again, particular knowledge of God, spiritual knowledge, understanding God, a firm personal understanding of God, his word, his ways, his will, and the other bank or the other support, or the other infusion to love, this divine love, is discernment. Some of you in the NIV will say, uh, with all, what? Some of you have an NIV? Spiritual insight. 
He's talking about moral discernment and discretion, this, this uh, capacity to perceive, to see through, to inspect and detect and examine and evaluate, to distinguish between or to filter. And this, this is beautiful. It's absolutely essential. Otherwise, love is just, it has nothing. You just love everything and absolutely anything. And agape love doesn't love everything. We need the knowledge of God to guide this love and moral discernment. So we're going to get into this about what that might look like. So how does this happen? Well, we're just going to get right into the application. So praying to grow, and I, I use the term Christ-discerning love. Maybe it's manifested in Christ. Did Christ absolutely love everything? Did he accept every behavior? You see, it was guided by God's word, by knowledge of God and who he is and what he stands for, his character, his will, and his word. And it was guided by discernment. So he could speak through and not accept everything. Praying to grow Christ discerning agape love has some benefits for us as a church and as you as an individual. It helps us face many of the questions that we alluded to earlier. How do you live in this world as a follower of Christ? How do you live in the kingdom of God that is partially here, yet feels so dominated by the kingdom of darkness or the world and all of its worldliness? So the outcome of praying that we grow Christ-discerning love is that, first of all, he equips us to exercise Christ-like judgment. That when you pray this, that, that God, that your, that Christ's discerning love would fill us to overflowing. He equips us to exercise Christ-like judgment. So from Christ's perspective, he's talking about to discern, to distinguish between good and bad, what's right and wrong, to discern between what's good and better or best. This kind of Christ-like judgment actually differentiates. It evaluates in light of God's plan and the big picture and the long view. It gives wisdom in how this love is to be expressed. It filters out selfish and sinful ulterior motives for why we're expressing it. And it evaluates outcomes and certain choices or actions. It sifts greater values over lesser ones. And it helps us choose God's best for us and for his church and for his family. It sharpens the senses to discern what is good or evil. What's the spirit of the world or what's from the Holy Spirit? What is fleshly? And what is of Christ? 
In Hebrews 5.14, it says that those through God's word who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, this is possible because this love is infused, supported, guided by God's word and truth. And the more we practice it and express it and let it infuse our love, it will help us to distinguish between what is good and bad, right or wrong, evil or of Christ. The verse is in verse 10. And it is my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And here's what, why do you pray that? Why pray that? So that, here's the purpose, so that you may approve what is excellent. So you may approve. So that is the why we do it. We approve means to test. And once tested, to draw a conclusion and affirm it. Having examined something or a situation or a choice or an option, an activity or a behavior, it, it gets tested by this Christ-discerning love. And then after going through that, it can be approved. Approving what is excellent. What does this mean? The word talks about what is right, what is holy, what is true, what is wise, what is beneficial, what is wholesome, what is eternal, what's God-honoring, what's of the Holy Spirit, what's valuable to the kingdom of God, and what's important to him. It's excellent. So to test, we pray this so that we will test what is, test or evaluate and distinguish between what's wrong, what's sinful, what's false or error or lie or what's foolish or minimum requirement of being lawful or temporal or self-exalting or of flesh or detrimental. So all of those things that is excellent and all of those things about God, it helps us to distinguish between this whole other swath of options or behaviors. If I were to ask you, I, I'm sure many of you, without fully even realizing this, if God's in you and starts working in you, you you've, been, you've taken steps to actually apply this already. Some of you have faced difficult decisions. You see behavior that's just completely contrary to God's word in your own life or in your family. Or, and you dress it because there's something inside you where Christ discerning love measures evaluates, tests what you're seeing. And so, therefore, you respond not according to the world or what's evil or what's not God on. You respond to what God is doing inside you. It'll help you what to give loyalty to and what not to, who to give loyalty to and what not to. Romans 12 talks about this, about being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we'll be able to approve what is acceptable and pleasing to God. Just because you have great love in a vacuum or by itself doesn't mean you could start loving and approving things, all kinds of things that are displeasing to God. But when it's supported and infused by God's wisdom and discernment, ah, then you are able to approve what is acceptable and pleasing to God. 
It's not that you stand in judgment over that. You align yourself and take God's stance on those issues. You let his wisdom infuse your decision. I remember one time when I was a teenager, I was, you know, kind of putzing around in the basement with my dad, and he said, uh, so this girl you're hanging out with, he said, uh, are you, like, you know, dating her, like, serious? And I said, well, I don't know if I should or not. So he says, well, and he ran through this grid. Um, does she a believer? Does she love God? I said, yeah. He said, does she follow Jesus? Does she attempt to, like, with integrity? Yeah, I said, yeah. He said, are you compatible? Do you like each other? And I said, yeah. And then he said, uh, use your brain. But you see, he was walking through a grid of what is God's, you know, what is God's support and influence in this decision? And he, that was simple. I was, you know, young. It was a sim- simple idea. But it ran me through a grid. And it was the application of God's wisdom and discernment to make a decision. And when they all line up, then it's just like, well, make a decision. You know, God's given you a mind. Do so. But if it was off the rails in some of the questions then uh, I'm sure there would have been a different response. So where was I anyway? Okay, here we are. Sorry. It's my ADHD flaring up. Um, And I mean that. I'm not joking. Um, So we pray this prayer for Christ-honoring love so that we may approve what is excellent and God-honoring. That's why we do it. Here's another thing. Praying... To grow Christ's discerning love enables us to develop Christ-like character. When you ask to be filled with with the, the love of God and you let that love starting to shape your decisions because it's infused with his word and discernment, suddenly it that that can begin then to shape your character. Let me explain. The verse here is the very next phrase. So that you'll be able to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Somehow by praying that prayer and having the capacity to discern will have an effect on our character development because it will lead us towards Christ-likeness so that you will be pure. This is talking, first of all, he's talking about the inward life. To be clean, clear, unpolluted, authentic, without admixture, void of any alloys like in certain metals. He's talking about the inner character and the disposition of our hearts, our demeanor, our attitude, our heart motives. As Hebrews said, the intentions of the heart, our desires. And and this word, there's a statement about this word that sometimes involves sunlight. And the idea is that you could take things like, say, a a jar of liquid or something, and you could hold it up to the light, and you can see, because the light passes through, whether or not it's pure or whether there are impurities in it. 
Another illustration was used from that day was when people would make fine pottery, almost a china-like thing. Sometimes people would try to sell it if it was cracked or had little chips in it. What they would do is they would take wax and put it where the crack is, and then they would just polish it up and stuff and hoping people wouldn't notice it. But at, you know, wise buyers would take that and they would hold it up to the sun and to the light. And if they could see light coming through it, they know that that was doctored. You see, so this is the picture here is there's, a, this, there's an, an internal congruence, a healthy character. It's not inauthentic. It's not unpolluted. It's clear. It's clean. It's without admixture. And it's blameless. Now we get to the outward expression of this character. Where the inward deals with our purity, it's expressed outwardly in being blameless. Our actions, our reactions, our conduct, practices, and behavior. So when we allow the love of God to be infused and guided and directed by his word and wisdom, it'll have an effect on us because we'll be able then to be able to discern and we'll know what to approve and what not to, which then will help us in our character. If we have bad attitudes, we're judgmental, um, you know, those things, that love convicts us. That's not what God calls us to. If we're arrogant, what he said, have this mindset which was in Christ Jesus, you know, who humbled himself. And, and it's like, oh, man, that attitude, then the attitude in light of that verse, let's go, oh, man, that's not right. So then I can deal with the attitude. Um, and then the behavior when we do things that are just wrong. Does this make sense to you? Am I belaboring, grinding too much? So it, it's, He's talking about the process of being sanctified or becoming more like Jesus, growing spiritually so that we'll be pure and blameless. He's not talking about perfection. You and I, when we trusted Christ, the righteousness of Jesus, if I can use something judicial, was put in our account before a holy God. When God looks at us from our position or from a judicial sense, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And that gives us great comfort that if Christ were to come or we were to die, he would see us, he sees Christ. But there's the experiential part of our day-to-day life and living in congruence with who we are, closing that gap. It's called sanctification, that is to set us apart, make us holy or pure, more and more like Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. And this process happens all the way to our life, all the way. And so what he's talking about is that process right there of becoming, to be pure and blameless. And the reason is for that day. Because Jesus is coming back, And there is a great day of the Lord. And part of what happens at the great day of the Lord is there is a judgment. Justice will come. Now, on one hand, it's absolutely amazing. Every injustice in the entire world history will be made right. Justice will come. And not just that. Sin will be judged. And 
we're so thankful that we're in Christ and he sees Christ's righteousness, not our lack of it. So we can have confidence in that day. But we keep moving towards the day of the Lord where he's going to return and his kingdom breaks in with total influence all over the whole world. He establishes a kingdom. He judges sin, judges Satan, judges death, sorrow, sin and sickness, all gone forever. And that's our, you know, we will see him. He is our great hope. Now, one of the hardest things to do, both in our personal lives and in the life of the church, is to walk in that tension between our everyday life and what we face and that end. Is that not true? We must continually be lifting our eyes and thinking about Christ is returning. This time on this earth, in comparison, is like a dot. And we are to live in light of eternity What we do now greatly impacts our future, so we've got to take great care in making decisions because it will impact what comes later. Rewards, all kinds of things. So this is why our lives are to be characterized by a growing Christ-like love for God and his people that's guided by the Holy Spirit's biblical knowledge and, and, and discernment because Christ is coming back and we will stand before him. Now, we won't face the great white throne judgment where we'll be banished from the kingdom of God forever and his presence. But every Christian even will stand before the, what's called the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, and will give an account for what we've done in the flesh, how we've lived our lives, things we've said, what we've done for him. Rewards will be doled out, all kinds of things like that. And so this is impetus for us. It's motivation for us and so we, we really need to think this through. It enables us to develop Christ-like character and it, you know, because he's coming back. It also does another thing. It empowers us to produce Christ-like fruit. It empowers us to produce Christ-like fruit. You see, he says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To be filled or made full, what is given to us, this righteousness, being in right standing before God and also in a right relationship with God that aligns life with that. Living rightly. And there's fruit, there's evidence that we are in right relationship and living rightly. Righteous, according to God's standards. So John 15, verse 4, talks about abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. When the love of Christ, guided by his word and all discernment, abides in us, He will produce fruit in us and through us. Actions, resulting evidence, proof, influence that's produced by Christ. So the first fruit is obviously that of character. We'll see ourselves growing, becoming more like Jesus by his spirit. The character of Christ begins to burst through Galatians 5.22. You'll see love and joy and peace and Kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control. These, these character qualities start bursting through. 
You see the fruit of good works, eternally valuable deeds on behalf of God for his kingdom. You see the fruit of leading people to Christ or being part of that process as brand new believers and disciples are made. So, as we exercise our spiritual gift, and these are done through Jesus, right? He's the source of our character, and uh, he lives and works through us. Lastly, here's the last one. When we pray this Christ, you know, discerning love would fill us and that we'd grow and abound in it, it will encourage us to give Christ-like worship. It'll encourage us to give Christ-like worship. He finishes the, the phrase, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. To lift up and exalt, magnify, to give credit to, to make known, to build up the reputation of, to show forth the brilliance and shine a light upon God. Not on ourselves. We lift up Christ and the Father, the Spirit, the work that God's doing to the glory and the praise. That means to give honor and declare the worth, to celebrate in song and prayer, to thank, to show appreciation and to acknowledge God and what he's doing. The God revealed in the Bible, the revealed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Abounding in Christ's discerning agape love will make us a distinct people. And as we love Christ and people for his sake and the honor of God, things will happen. Here's what uh, a pastor, he used to be the large pastor in Milwaukee, an author, Stuart Briscoe, he was from the UK. He said, there's one thing that could revolutionize modern society faster than anything else is Christ's discerning love. More than anything else, he said, if hatred was attacked by love and antagonism was countered by this kind of love, and if people started giving instead of grabbing, reaching out instead of clutching, building bridges instead of barriers, our world will wonder what happened. Society would be shocked. So Paul's prayer is simply that Christians might initiate this kind of shock don't you love that? That's our privilege, and it's desperately needed. But it all starts with the church of Christ. When we pray that our love would abound and bound more and more in God-saturated knowledge and in spiritual discernment, there's wonderful benefits that take place. It equips us to exercise Christ-like judgment, it enables us to develop Christ-like character. It empowers us to produce Christ-like fruit, and it encourages us to give Christ-like worship. This is why we pray this. And again, if you've been stuck in your prayer life, I just want to encourage you to take these prayers and just pray through them and let whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind as you're going through it, pray it. Let's pray.